Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, a fresh guest, a fresh face, fresh ideas, and all sorts of fresh new stuff to discuss. Today's guest is Susan DiLorenzo. Uh, hi, Susan. Hey, Russell. How are you today? I'm good, and I'm guessing from your accent, you're across the wet stuff, way, way west. Yes, yes um, I have a tinge of Midwestern US in my voice still, but I've been on the East Coast for the last 30 years or so. Go on, yeah. be a little bit more specific. Even I can't yes. work it out from there. <laughs> well, it's a thing. I've moved so many times, but yes, largely Massachusetts and now Rhode Island. Beautiful. And I'm wintering in Florida. I hope not to make too many of my homeland people too upset about that, but they're getting like two feet of snow as we speak, and yeah. we're just putting up with a bad wind today. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Florida all the time, isn't it? It's a, a mild breeze as winter. Well, I have been to Florida when it was so cold, the lizards were falling off the trees. because funny? It was, what a phenomenon that yeah, is. Very strange. <laughs> In fact, I bought, I, this is, I propose nothing, talking about resilience, I bought my favourite ever coat in the um, Macy's in Miami in the sale for $25, Tommy Hilfiger coat. What yeah, can I say? Miami. Perfect place to do that. The Floridians mm. aren't buying them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All we Brits are over there shopping like mad. Well, hopefully back again soon. Um, so Susan, tell me a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. I want to start by first saying that I'm a breast cancer survivor whose marriage fell apart about a year out of treatment. And it was the one-two punch that launched me into discovering what resilience really is. And from there, I learned so much over this time. And I was already helping other people that had been going through many of the things, other breast cancer patients, people coming out of divorce, that I saw a calling there that led me to become certified as a life coach, which gave me the ability to codify what I learned through tools and mindsets. I didn't just generally say, well, this is what I did. I could codify and bring people through life-altering adversities, not just by sharing my own experiences, but with the training of being a life coach, it's not the same as a, a trained therapist. There's a need for that. But this is about rebuilding and having a mindset that believes no matter what has happened to us, we are able to create something even greater. We don't even have to go back and rebuild the old life. 
we can build on a higher platform of awareness, which will then give us the inspiration to dream bigger and go for more. Excellent. Uh, and you've already got my uh, approval because um, you've recognized the difference between a life coach and a therapist. So thank you for that. I think a lot of people don't understand the difference. And it's, uh, it's important and, and it they're is. both valuable. Yes. Yeah. In different ways. That's very good. Um, so talk me, take me back to the time when you found out. How was that? What happened? I, it's funny, uh, Russell, because I have a mother who's a breast cancer survivor oh. and same age as when I was diagnosed and same breast, really wild. But in all the years that I've been with her, I never imagined it would happen to me. Mm. Physically, we look so different. I thought, oh, that's just going to happen to her, not me. Have I heard of genetics? <laughs> Yeah, so so I, I still was shocked isn't that I mean it does sound uh, pretty funny that I, I wouldn't even imagine that I could get it if my mother had it but um, it unraveled it just unraveled me and I had an 18 month old boy at the time and my mother was 18 months old when she lost her mother so immediate and she didn't remember her mother so immediately i've got myself in the grave thinking that yeah. my son's not going to remember me i was just falling apart it turned out that particular diagnosis wasn't even the more serious one i went back for a checkup and during the checkup the oncologist asked has anybody talked to you about the lump in your right breast oh. and that was, and at the time, I'm a full-time working mother with a new falling apart house that we were working on. And that was just one more thing on the camel's back. And I was just downright angry. I was just like, I don't have time for this. There was actually a book out at the time called Breast Cancer. Let me check my schedule. Yes. <laughs> and oh my gosh, it was just... Um, hard for me to digest. I was in full resistance. And I think that is something that happens a lot to people when faced with an adversity. You're completely resistant. This can't be happening. I, I even said when I learned I had to do chemo, I don't want to do this. Mm. <laughs> and it's interesting, and, isn't it? Because people describe it as a battle with cancer, as if you're battling yourself. And it's, it's not the most useful metaphor in a way, is it? No. What I believe we need to develop is the relationship with ourself mm. that gets us through and um, build something. We, we don't usually go in, you don't go, hmm, I think I want to raise my awareness and my abilities. So how about some nice breast cancer and divorce to really mm. build me, you know? But when it's at your doorstep, it's great to think, okay, I can't, it's here. Mm. I'm not you know, it's on the film. I see that cancer. Uh, my maid is asking for the divorce. I knew this was a difficult marriage. So what can I do with myself mm. to make this okay? It's not going to be great. I don't love it. But how can I keep my awareness going? And I want to say my divine connection in my forefront, mm. that I'm not alone. Um, it doesn't have to be a religious thing. A lot of people get uncomfortable, but there's something about knowing um, that we can't make ourselves breathe. Yes, we can take a breath. We can't make our heart beat. These are things that life is going on inside of us and we are connected to life. Knowing that can be the strength. Mm. Speaking your truth can be the strength. Speaking your pain, writing in a journal, 
you don't have to keep it bottled up in full resistance. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of those ideas are thrown about almost as a glib thing, but actually they do have significance, don't they? They do have a purpose. They do often have a scientific or pseudoscientific um, even um, uh, background with some sort of evidence wrapped around them. But right. it's sort of, they've sort of got lost into this um, realm of self-help, which is a shame really, because actually venting, you know, downloading is a cathartic process and it's very sound sense connecting to something bigger than yourself is a cathartic process in itself so it is odd in the way that we have to apologize for the spiritual side of things whether and it's and it's and i, and I, and I know you weren't because you were talking about religion rather than spirituality but i think it's it's quite nice to have that idea of something else bigger than yourself in the world it's empowering actually mm. it's empowering especially when you call upon it to be within yourself and not out there like some I, as a kid used to think of this big old guy in the sky and I hoped he wasn't mad at me and I was doing all the right stuff and all the Christmas <laughs> yes yes uh, so making it real for ourselves and uh and and making that your center the calm of the in the you know the eye of the storm it's always the eye of the storm you are the center of your own experience that is happening outside of you who are you in the experience that's what you want to ask yourself and that's particularly important because uh, particularly with cancer, you often have family, parents, relatives, friends, and they, you often have to deal with them as well, don't you? It's, it's, it's sometimes you don't get the time for yourself in a strange sort of way if you're not careful. It's true. And you're, you're often comforting them because they don't yeah. know what to do for you. Um, the other thing that um, I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, but in, in a book I'm working on right now, there is a chapter called Loved Ones May Disappoint. Because they don't have all the skills and they have their own fears, their own feelings about what you're going through. Perhaps they went through it and they had a horrible time and they're projecting all of that on you, how bad their cousin's cancer was. You know, this guy got taken for millions in his divorce. You know, you hear. And uh, so it's very important to just be aware. OK, that is their experience. I have mine. And it's interesting that you link at the beginning, the sort of cancer and the divorce. Do you see mm. that one, we sort of described it as a progression, one led to the other, but was one caused by the other, do you think? Do you think that happens? You know, it's a fascinating statistic, Russell, around the number of divorces related to couples where one is going through cancer. Yeah. It's higher than our national average here in the United States. Mm. And I think it really does show you what a marriage is really made of. And I knew well before I got married that I was signing up for something very difficult, but I was so determined to get married, have a family, you know, hit the checklist of, of women in her early 30s. And um, I I struggled a lot. I actually married what I knew. I, I grew up with a parent with depression and I just gravitated towards the same thing because I had never done that awareness work on myself. Yeah. So wanting to, first of all, I got through cancer. I'm told I'm cancer free. I am elated now. I went through four surgeries, six months of chemo, you know, a tandem radiation for part of it. And at the end of that, I'm told we got it all. You're cancer free. Yeah. I had a whole new love of life. 
I knew I wasn't going to just play small anymore. At least I wanted to have fun in my life and not have it so hard. And that's where when you're at a higher level and you're no longer vibrating at the level of your mate who is in depression, right? Mm -hmm. I come at him and say, I want to work at this. I think we, we've got to get this back to where at least where it was. And he nods his head and he says, yeah, actually, I need to live alone. I feel like I had raised myself, even in those short months after that cancer-free report, to a point where he couldn't handle how happy I was. Yeah. <laughs> and it really just showed um, how um, falsely supported it was that I was the codependent trying to walk on the eggshells, trying to make it stay together. Yeah. And um, something had to give. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and that, that sense of another chance, that sense of you know, reconnecting, um, starting again, re retrenching, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it is pretty fundamental, isn't it? Any, I mean, many people who talk about the sort of, you know, this resilience idea of coming out of the dip and uh, as they come out of the dip and come to the other side of it and, and start to sort of the, regain where they were beforehand or on, on that journey, they often seem to be going at a different speed to their partner or their lives. Uh, and you often find this with personal development, don't you? You have one party that, that changes and they forget that the other person's still where they were. And unless you move together, it's actually, it's, actually, it's actually a bit of a challenge, really, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the model of marriage, you know, that till death do us part, it's a nice idea. And it's certainly romantic to think about. We think about the swans and all these beautiful animals that stay together. But it's impossible when both people are not growing or accepting. Yeah. accepting that there's growth and um, that it's okay to let go and allow the other partner who doesn't grow at the same level doesn't mean they're never going to grow i want to share that the man i divorced is at a completely different place yeah. uh, happily married another child much happier in his life and who knows what would have happened had we not split apart that could have been i always say i probably would have gotten cancer again <laughs> Well, I, I, yeah. I'm a real believer in the sort of neurochemistry and bi biochemistry and yes. this idea that, you know, if we're releasing cortisol because we're stressed and all that sort of stuff in our relationship, it makes us unwell. And you, and you regularly say this from business, getting a new boss through to a new wife, through to whatever it might be. Suddenly people just leap ahead and change. And sometimes people are just bad for each other, aren't they? And it takes yeah. something fundamental to shake one party up like a car crash or as you say cancer or something along those lines something big to wake yeah. you up because i think most of the time we're we're numb and stumbling through and you're right aren't you this especially in some of the western um countries that this idea of marriages for life and i've always believed the marriage is for about 10 years and then you have to fundamentally re-engineer your relationship and that's what keeps it fresh because it's like having yes. a new person Yes, you're interested in the growth. Yeah. You're interested in the adventure that marriage can be. Yeah. Of what's next for us? One of you can create a vision together for your lives. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're going to you're not going to have separate interests, you know. My husband's a major tennis guy. Nice. <laughs> I like to dote around, but together we know, oh, we're going to go here. We want to do this. Let's have these people. We're just always at next level of um, having 
something to look forward to and, and, and our discussions are real. I think that's really important. Staying um, superficial, this happened to me, that happened to me, but talking about the elements of life, of struggle, of what's going on in the world and where is our place in that and mm. um, knowing if, if a friend is going through something and we talk about how would that affect us, you know, we like to get down into the real stuff and that keeps things very much moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. So at some stage, you decided to become a life coach and codify your experiences. So tell me a bit more about that, if you would. Yes, I'm very much drawn to clients who are coming out of life-altering adversities. And um, I think they trust me already because they know what my experience is. It's no secret what's happened. And they've... Um, I think the first thing that really is the biggest stumbling block for them to understand is that it's not just other people. We, we put people up on a pedestal who have overcome adversity and mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with us that we are not able to, we don't have what they have. Mm -hmm. And there must be something wrong with me and wouldn't that be nice if I could do that too. So coming to me at first is all about getting just a corner of the mind open to the idea that yeah this is for me and it's not just about getting a new job or something slightly attainable it's about how can I design my life yeah. to a place where I wake up in the morning and say I love my life mm. I love it and I didn't have to settle but yes there's also that idea of it takes some building work it takes some learning because what's holding us back years and years of belief systems conditioning mm -hmm. that you know I, I call it the not good enough syndrome yeah. <laughs> you know that's where that comes from where you don't think it's possible for you only other people so these are my clients that I absolutely adore and they're of all ages uh, I have some as young as their early 20s who are have already gone through so much coming out of addiction yeah. or bullying and and then on the other side you've got uh, women coming out of late divorces you know they're in their 50s and 60s and recreating a new chapter in their life yes. um, other cancer survivors yeah I mean it's interesting isn't it isn't that's a very just sort of pondering that point you were making there that's because of the way medical advances have happened it is possible to get breast cancer and still die and there's a sort of perception now that if you get it, you'll be cured. Whereas in the past, when you got it, that would be the end. I mean, there's certain types of cancers, but that's interesting. But I had a, I had a friend of mine recently, another friend, more of an acquaintance who had breast cancer and did die. And people are looking around saying, well, well, how did that happen? You know, you're meant to recover. What did she do? You know, <laughs> as, as if it was her fault, you know, yes. that somehow you didn't recover. And I think there's something about the the nature of the disease or the condition now that's it's reset itself especially with the COVID thing going on it's it seems to have lost its importance yeah it is the number one killer I think or after heart disease I think yeah it is on the top towards the top of the list yeah. and and that's it's true we we tend to blame ourselves we even blame ourselves because we talk about the mind-body connection right and that mm -hmm. disease has to go somewhere these feelings have to go somewhere and the body is the reflection of the thinking and the feeling 
And so, yeah, you can even blame yourself for contracting the disease instead of calling it, here's my messaging system. And, and going back to the idea that we are a soul on a journey and we don't know the individual soul's journey. Mm. This to me is something we can't even guess at, but what is the soul learning? from being in that disease. What did I learn? I learned I am greater than any circumstance, mm. that my life has deep meaning no matter what I'm going through. And it's what we teach others through what we're going through. You think about what you learn from your friend, yeah. even though she's passed, there's been something beautiful happened in that relationship if you were paying attention. And she has served a great purpose on the earth by those relationships. It wasn't a total loss. And we, we make death like, hey, that's not supposed to happen. You know, we have this idea that you know, we're going to live forever. And it's, yes, inside we are eternal. I feel that. But externally, yeah, we've, it's almost like um, you're driving this car and eventually you got to let the car go. Mm. And um, we do the best we can with who we are in the moment. Mm. And, and what it is, it's getting every, uh, it's like wringing all the sweetness out of your life while you're here. Yeah. No matter if you're in disease or not, there, you can still experience beauty and you can show beauty. Even if you're suffering, there are moments of grace that are so deeply meaningful, especially when you're experiencing such pain and worry and concern, but then all of a sudden something opens up. Somebody comes in with kindness. I had the most beautiful nurses and wonderful doctors and strangers coming up to me because I'm walking around with a bald head. <laughs> um, so there is, um, we can't know what that means. And no, not everyone's going to live. And what I noticed is that I got the wake up call to go, wow, I yeah. am mortal. I am going to leave my body one day and this will be over. I have the benefit of changing the way I look at my life versus the person, let's say, who walks out and gets hit and killed by a car, yeah. who didn't have that moment of, wow, I can change things right now. Yeah. I can be different and it sounds and, like and it sounds like your technique is to replace the thoughts in your head with different thoughts it, i mean i know it's a very trivial way of expressing no, it but it's simply said the but, yeah. fundamental that's what it seems to be about isn't it and it's, it's the yeah. most powerful thing of all really isn't it it is consider when we walk i don't know about your grocery stores in the uk but when we walk around in grocery stores there's all this music playing all the time oh, yeah. and then you tune in you go wow that's an interesting song that's what it's like with our subconscious thoughts or the thoughts that are always playing, telling you you're not good enough, you didn't do it right, you have a crappy job, you know, whatever it is that's going on, I'm so mad at my son, whatever these things are going on, that's like grocery store music. When we start tuning into it, we go, wow, do I want that filling me up all the time? Hmm. What can I replace that with? First, we have to catch it, then we have to recalibrate because you can't just kick it out of there. You've yeah. got to refill with something that's going to serve you. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, absolutely right. And so the book, you've obviously decided to set off on a, in that direction, which is admirable. I've set off in that direction three times now and arrived at cul-de-sacs. So that's good. Um, oh, I've been on a long cul-de-sac. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is like the light at the end of the tunnel now. Yeah. 
Trevor's just noticed that the light in the end of the tunnel is a train heading in my direction. Oh, my quickly. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to dodge that. But what's going to be in the book? Tell us about a little bit about that. Yes. So the book is called Pulling the Gems from Adversity. And in it, I break it into five seconds, uh, sections, beginning with what do you do when you're in the middle of an adversity? How can you support yourself while you're in it? What kind of a mindset is going to serve you? What tools can you use to center yourself and not make this all or nothing about your life? But again, the evenness of life while you're in the adversity. The second section I call um, a kind glance backwards. I wanted to call it what the age just happened (laughs) because you, and it takes some space. You don't just get out of it and then all of a sudden you go, well, let me analyze all of this. You, you have to let some space go by and then things start bubbling up, like how hard I'd been on myself for my, in my instance, how little expectation I had for my life, uh, how small I played my life. So things start bubbling up. We want to look at that. And those are what I refer to as the gems from adversity are these insights and wisdom. The third section is about creating your life anew. What does it take to build a new vision? And what are the steps to start moving towards that vision? The fourth section is really important. It's called not everything can come with you. Mm. Resentment, low self-esteem, low expectations, so forth. Anything that is toxic is not going to allow you to move forward. Those nasty little voices, you can't, you know, we're always going to have them, but we're not giving them power over ourselves. Finally, advance boldly. If you've made it to that part, go for it. Create big. Don't let um, not only your own past history dictate where you're going, but the naysayers. You know, um, do you know a wonderful speaker, Les Brown? He's really big in the States. I love this man. And please look him up, guys. Um, He says, First of all, he says, there is greatness in you. He's like um, inspirational preacher. Um, But he says, no one has ever built or erected a statue to a critic. No, that's right. That's right. I I just love that, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's the people who are in the ring going for what they want. We are cheering each other on. There's no competition there. We are saying, everybody, come and join us. This is the way to live your life. The people who are criticizing are the ones that are maybe a little afraid or just not seeing that that's their part too, Mm. or they're on a different schedule than you are. They're going to come at it later. Uh, so, yeah, that's advanced boldly. That's the grand finale of my book, and yeah. I, I, and it's not a big book. It's really it's more like a book you could give a friend, keep on your bedside table. You can open it to any part you want, depending mm. on where you are in your life. That sounds brilliant. And so, you reckon that's going to be coming out quarter three this year? Hopefully. Yes, mid to third quarter of the year. I'm in the process of uh, finishing the editing of the manuscript. I'm going to get it to some readers to make sure I really am a writer and that they like it. Uh, and then I'll get it over to the publisher. It's that full horror at the moment where other people start to read your work. It and is you have absolute to do that panic. Bit. You know, mm. I have to take my own advice all the time. Yeah. Like, I'm doing this for a reason. Okay, that's part of the growth, even if it's, you know, not great. <laughs> yeah, what's the lesson? But don't tell me. <laughs> tell, yeah, me. Don't don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Be gentle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so um, if people would like to find out more about you, Susan, where should they look? And um, Yeah. 
So they can head over to my website, mm -hmm. susandelorenzo.com, S-U-S-A-N-D-E-L-O-R-E-N-Z-O. Or you can, you can email me at susan at susandelorenzo.com. And I wanted to invite you all to um, my Facebook page. It's, it's just facebook.com forward slash dream coach Susan. I have a number of weekly videos I do on coming out of adversity and, and the mindsets and tools that can support you. That's very, very kind. That sounds great. I shall be joining in and looking out for the book. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. And thank you. From the sunshine and the wind and the, the gorgeousness, that's Florida. Thank you so much for spending time and um, giving us some really insightful tips. Thanks. Thanks, Russell. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.